This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Jenna LaFlem. Jenna LaFlem has dedicated herself to helping women around the world heal emotional eating, reach their healthy weight, and look and feel fabulous. Her live seminars, pleasure camps, private coaching, and her online programs all teach women a natural, sustainable, and joyous approach to weight loss. Jenna has recently published Pleasurable Weight Loss, a guide to the secrets to feeling great, losing weight, and loving your life today. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Jenna and I spoke about pleasure, counterfeit pleasure versus true pleasure, what to do when we hit pleasure thresholds, and how to push ourselves further, and why some people find pleasure scary or threatening. We also talked about her new book, Pleasurable Weight Loss, and some of the provocative territory that the book covers, including how our sexuality is linked to our weight. Finally, we talked about pleasurable weight loss, do's and don'ts, what the payoffs are for many of us for remaining overweight, and what it might mean, in Jenna's term, to have an ideal ecology for pleasurable weight loss. Here's my far-ranging conversation with Jenna LaFlem. In one of the beginning chapters of Pleasurable Weight Loss, you call yourself a disciple of pleasure. So, Jenna, to begin, what does it mean to be a disciple of pleasure? What it means to be a disciple of pleasure, well, my favorite interpretation of the word disciple is, or discipline, is to be a disciple unto yourself, which is to be using intention to really know yourself and really know what's good for you. And that's what it is to be a disciple of pleasure, to really know and study and examine, become a connoisseur, understand pleasure as a really deep, multifaceted phenomenon where you know your fingerprint and you know the difference between the real thing and, let's say, the pseudo thing or the counterfeit version, which may feel good in the moment, but really not give you all the goodness you're hoping for. In Pleasurable Weight Loss, you talk about the difference between counterfeit pleasure, as you're talking about now, and true pleasure. And it seems like that's a really important distinction for people. So what's the difference? It is. True pleasure is the type of pleasure that when you experience it, it feels good in the moment, it feels good an hour later. A day later, a week later, a month later, a year later, you can look back in time and say, wow, that was a great experience. It was had a great after effect. Versus a counterfeit pleasure, it, yeah, it 
does give some sensation and some feel-good experience in the moment, but as much as an hour later, a day later, a year later, so on, you look back and, ugh, it didn't really deliver over time. There was a hangover. There was weight gain. There was skin breakout. There was a feeling of shame, and you knew it wasn't really good for you. So that's the difference. And tell me, once upon a time, there was no such thing as an unhealthy pleasure. We originated as organisms, you know, pre, pre-cognitively, before we had minds, we were creatures, and we would bump into something that was good for us. Ooh, promise of life, uh, you know, health, thriving, survival, and that was, you know, pre-pleasure, proto-pleasure, feeling good, safety, and yes, we're programmed to go that way versus pain, danger, threat, contraction, let's get away from there. So when I talk about pleasure, I'm not only meaning luxuries and decadence and over-the-top connotations of pleasure, but simply what is it that makes you feel good? What opens you? What expands you? What relaxes you? And in that way, it really opens the scope of what this true pleasure is, because it's something we can experience in so many different facets when we give ourselves permission to have it. And that's really what it helps with a relationship with food, because when we don't have permission for pleasure, when we don't make it a priority, the body knows it needs it and finds a way to get it. And so often that comes out in a compulsive relationship with food and overeating. And it looks like a problem. Really, it's a healthy instinct of the body that just hasn't been understood and respected and responded to appropriately. So then when did counterfeit pleasure come into the picture? If you're saying that as human animals, and and you talk about this importance of understanding ourselves as an animal body... If in the past, pleasure was something that was just true and positive, when did counterfeit pleasure come on the scene? Yeah, that's a great question. So once upon a time, there was no such thing as a candy, unhealthy candy. There was only fruit, if you were looking to find it, or honey. Um, You know, if you found warm arms to be with, if you found play and joy, and these were all positive things. And nowadays, you know, when when did it? When did food start to be unhealthy and toxic? And when did, you know, media start to be unhealthy and toxic? And when did these changes occur? You know, there's been a lot of changes over time and culture and the the values that really inspire me and that inspire this book, um, you could describe as a pre-agricultural mindset where rather than believing that we, uh, the earth belongs to us, the humans on top and the earth below, we own the earth. And really, I was raised thinking that I was raised Christian and I really believe that humans had this dominion over the earth. It was our playground. And 
versus a more ancient way of thinking, which would be that we belong to the earth. You know, she is our mother. We belong to her. We, we are part of her. We are one with her. We're one with this living organism that is the intelligent Mother Earth. So, you know, when did these counterfeit pleasures come in? I think when we start to see our body as something that the mind owns, then we start to make choices that aren't necessarily healthy for the body, and that's when we can, um, you know, make choices that on some level, through and through, they're not really thought out from the perspective of the body with respect, understanding that it's not an object, it's not something under the mind, it's with the mind, and, um, and it deserves dignity too. Mm-hmm. So Jenna, I think I'm drilling down on this question of counterfeit pleasure and true pleasure and knowing the difference. Because when I think of yeah. being a disciple of pleasure, I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I'm doing it in a way that's good for me. I don't want to fall yes. into, let's say, saying, I like pleasure, I'm a disciple, therefore I'm going to have, you know, a hundred chocolate chip cookies or, or whatever. So I guess what I'm wondering is, in the moment, is there a litmus test for knowing, is this a counterfeit pleasure or a true pleasure? It certainly takes an awareness, and there's no clear right or wrong. Because really anything could be any of these categories. I think the first place to come from is the space of what I would call erotic innocence, where presume that the pleasure probably is good for you. Let's just start there, and then we'll examine, you know, maybe it's not. But anything that... um, you know, makes you feel good, it's at least worth inquiring into, you know, maybe this is good for me. One way to tell tummy is if it sensitizes you versus desensitizes you. If you feel numbed afterwards or tired or feel like it's something that you you need to have again. If it has a feeling of compulsion, if it has a feeling that the thing has something over you, and that can be a sign that it's counterfeit pleasure. If it feels like a free choice, something you can take as of your own desire, but if you don't have it, it's going to be okay. It will come in time. That's a sign also. Mm-hmm. It's as if there's a, an equal, or there's an appreciation of many different opportunities for healthy pleasure rather than obsessing over a few particular counterfeit pleasures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Now I'm wondering, why do you think pleasure is scary for some people or threatening for some people? Pleasure, we experience it through the senses. It's something that is a participation with the physical world, with the embodied world and with the animal world. As you said, I I love to describe the body as an animal. If you're a woman, she is a female animal. If you're a man, he is a male animal. You're a male animal. And that there's 
there's two of you. There's your mind and your body. Uh, we could bring you know, spirit into it, body, mind, spirit. But I love to talk about this, you know, body, mind, marriage. That's a great metaphor for what's going on and why we're scared of pleasure. So essentially, the mind is somewhat terrified by the body. It's this incredible force, and um, you know it has served society for the body to be shamed and repressed. And you know, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's served us as people, but it's served hierarchy, it's served served status quo to have people feel ashamed of their body, feel ashamed of their pleasure, and be willing to toe the line and uh, you know, do what someone else tells them is good for them. So it's pretty political and it is a radical thing in your life to say, Hey, I'm really going to take responsibility for my pleasure. What really feels good for me? How can I climb out from all excuses and someone else is meant to make me feel good and this and that and just really know what's true for me, what's right for me, what's right for my body, um, and go for it. You know, when it comes, Jenna, to the topic of pleasurable weight loss, I can imagine the first thought that most people have is, come on, that's not possible. I mean, come on, that's not possible, right? I mean, I have to deprive myself. That's the ticket. I've never been able to do it, but that's the myth. So how do you respond to those skeptics who say, come on, that's just not possible? Yes, great question. Pleasurable weight loss. What? How could that be possible? So here, let me volley it back the other way. How's it going with the punishing weight loss? You know, how's that working out for you? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't work out very well for me, but I look around and I look at a bunch of other women. It seems to be working for them. And the assumption I come to is, well, they must have more discipline than I have or be better punishers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Tommy, I'm not sure exactly who these they are, but the statistics are pretty dismal in terms of people having success with the conventional restrictive diets where, you know, 1995, 97% of these diets over time, they, they don't work, they backfire, people gain more weight than they lost. And the reason is, and the reason pleasurable weight loss works, is because the body at all times is either in stress mode or the relaxation mode. You've either got the dominance of your sympathetic nervous system or your parasympathetic nervous system. And when you're in stress mode, that's when your body says, oh, there's a danger, I need to protect myself. And part of that innate intelligence, your body knows gaining weight will offer protection and safety, and this is a good survival strategy. And it's built into us, we know that. So the problem then is when diets are stressful, that they, uh, you know, they become the trigger for weight gain. So you can see that it's a vicious cycle. It just doesn't work. And combine that with bad body image where a woman is feeling really bad about herself and that that's really stressful. She's not enjoying her life. That's really stressful. She's got a pleasure deprivation going on. 
So she needs to turn to food to have balance and have a release. So letting go of that is stressful. And the whole thing just doesn't work very well for most people at all. So pleasurable weight loss is about saying, okay, how do we, first of all, restore the body to this coveted relaxation state? Is how I describe it, this parasympathetic nervous system. And this is where Tammy just fits in so well with so many authors of, of Sounds True in the ethos of this community where meditation and finding peace within and really knowing our what what matters so that we can uh, find joy in this crazy world and we can dare to even say, you know what, I could live a life of pleasure. That doesn't have to mean decadence and luxury 24-7, but I, I could be in joy. And that's where we start to create this deeper shift in the nervous system um, combined with this life attitude of, you know what, I'm going to play. I'm going to have pleasure. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy. It brings this incredible wave of balance into your life, balance with food. You become active. You become, become dynamic. You get into flirting. You get into doing so many satisfying things that your body does come to life. Your metabolism shifts. Your relationship with food changes. And time and time again, uh, it's effective to really think of pleasure as something that needs to be more of a priority as a gateway for sustainable weight loss. Now, you talk about the metabolic benefits of relaxation, and you're pointing to that in what you're saying, but can you more explicitly help me understand how relaxation has metabolic benefits? Yes. So we are full of hormones, and one creates a chain reaction for each other. And when your body is in this relaxation state, the the shift of the hormones is so incredibly in your favor. It is very exciting. It's better for your sleep. It's better for your moods, your immune system, your libido, your digestion, your assimilation, uh, your blood pressure, and your calorie-burning efficiency. So we think commonly like, oh, I'm frenetic and stressed out. I'm probably burning a lot of calories. But it's actually not true. When we're in stress, we hold on to calories. When we're in relaxation, ha, ah, yeah, rev up the engine. It's a good day. You can burn it, you know, burn it all off. There's probably plenty more where that came from. We don't need to be stingy and hold on metabolically. We can really use use the body's fuel. So that's what I mean by this metabolic benefit of relaxation. It tells your body uh, you can you can let go, essentially. Now, one of the points you make in pleasurable weight loss is that people actually hold on to their weight for some very good reasons that you say that there are certain payoffs that people have for remaining overweight and that that's one of the things you really have to address in any weight loss program. So can you talk a little bit about that? What are some of the payoffs that people might have in remaining overweight? Mm -hmm. 
this applies to anything in life. If there's something we want and we can't seem to get it, it keeps evading us, then there's probably some very good reason why it is serving us and how it is serving us that we're not fully aware of. And the fastest way to actually get that thing is to look over our shoulder and go, hmm, how could this thing I really don't want, how could it be serving me on on some level? So that's the question that is worthy of asking is, what might I lose that I value if I were to lose weight, if I were to be at peace with food? And what you'll find when you start to ask those questions is there are usually, there are always good reasons. I mean, everyone has their good reasons. And I know for myself, Tammy, definitely deflecting sexual attention. That's one of the the big reasons women want to gain weight is unconsciously is to deflect attention that they never learned how to safely relate with and the weight becomes a safe way to buffer it off. So that's only one example, but there's so many reasons why we would protect ourselves like that. And when we become aware of them, that's when we can grow and develop develop beyond them. They're not fixed. We're we're always in flux. We can always change and transform but we need that awareness, and that's somewhere where we bring our attention in this book, to be aware of those yeah. reasons. I think it might be helpful, if you could, if there are other examples that come to mind from women that you've worked with, what the reasons are that people are remaining overweight. Because it might be stimulating for people to hear, oh, yeah, maybe that is the reason I'm not losing weight. Hmm, that's my reason. Mm-hmm. Well, so what are some of the other reasons that people yeah. present to you? Mm-hmm. So um, let's say you uh, feel like you had a, a a blessed life and that many, many things have gone right for you in your life. You're You're smart or you've had success in some way. And already you think that people envy you and wish they were you. And that if you, on top of that, had this beautiful body, uh, this you know, body of your dreams, and were that attractive, that people, other people wouldn't like it. Um, so you won't want to tone it down. It, it often comes to that. Other people won't like it that you shine that much. Um, other people won't like it that you're that sexual or attractive or fearing that you could be judged if I'm that um, attractive. Uh, I won't be taken seriously from my brain. Um, women will be threatened by me. Um, you know, I'll receive sexual violence. Um, I'll just get too much attention. It'll be a hassle. Um it's going to be work to maintain if I get there. And then if I ever lost it, it would be devastating. So I don't even want to try. Um, you know, everyone, I wouldn't fit into my family. Um, many, many reasons. 
Mm-hmm. It's helpful to hear that list. And let's say someone listening has identified one or two or three of those. They say, yeah, I relate to that. Well, what do I do with that information now? So then it's really about a personal inquiry and coming face-to-face with your own truth and asking, you know, is that what you want or is there something different that you want? And if that's not how you want to be living, if that's not really true to your values, let's say, uh, which one uh, grabbed your attention the most, Tammy? Let's go with one of them. I don't want to be too fabulous. I mean, I'm already pretty fabulous, so I'm, I'm scared of being any more fabulous than I am by being thin on top of it all. That's the one that got my attention. Exactly. I'm already pretty fabulous. I don't want to be too fabulous to get too much attention. So then really um, inquire into, you know, is is this your truth? Is this the message you want to give to the world? If a young girl, if a young woman is watching you and thinking, wow, she's my role model, and to see you deflecting attention, to see you, you know, um, changing your actions because of what someone else thinks of you. It really is that the role model you want to be leading with? I don't think so. Um, when we're honest with our ourselves, we don't want to be living in reaction to um, other people. We want to really be true to ourselves. And that's how... You know, why Pleasurable Weight Loss Works, because it's founded on this devotion to your female body, to your female animal, to this living creature, and inquiring and asking and respecting and listening. And there's a way that you can partner with your body in a way that you probably already know how to partner with your romantic partner or your child or your business collaborator. You can partner with your body that intimately, and then you can lose weight in an enjoyable way where it's part of your lifestyle and just part of your your self-care, your self-joy to be that good to yourself. Now, I'm curious what you think of someone's objection, something like, if I really tuned to my animal body and allowed it to have all the pleasure that it wanted... I would be out of control. There would be some kind of out of controlness that would not just freak me out, but freak all the people around me out. Yes. Great, great point. And there may be some of that at the beginning in terms of finding your footing and exploring something new. You're going to be a child or a teenager of pleasure if you've been holding it back your whole life. But it's okay. You can go overboard a little bit and you'll find your balance in the end. There is there is something trustable. And here's the thing. When you're attuned to true pleasure and not counterfeit pleasure, then it's about finding what is the, the optimal amount of pleasure that allows you to continue to have more of it. 
So as soon as you're having too much or the diminishing returns, and it's like, no, not that one. Adjust. Counter-correct. Counter, you know, uh, as if you're crossing a lake and you're just adjusting to the breeze of what really does feel good, feel healthy, feel vitalizing. And then feel how that has a different energy from out of control, Tammy? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It reminds me of a tip that you give in Pleasurable Weight Loss, which is that you recommend not that people eat until they feel full, but they eat towards a point that you call the point of energy. And, and I was curious about that. When you're eating, how do you know when you've reached the point of energy? Mm-hmm. This is a really terrific point. I'm really happy you highlighted this. So in pleasurable weight loss, we're saying, okay, let's bring in the body's voice, the body knows. How do we learn to listen to the body's language? And the body's language is sensations, is feeling, is things like how tired am I feeling or how energized, how light or how heavy. These these qualities of feeling rather than the quantities of ounces of protein, et cetera, and carbs to know how much to eat. So in order to feel this closely, you need to be really present. This is where I say in the book, pleasure is a meditation in disguise, where the true pleasure, this is another version, um, way to tell, to answer your previous question, between true pleasure and, and counterfeit pleasure is, you can tell your presence is there. And we know the difference between really being present and engaged and just sort of being spaced out and, and checked out. So here we're um, really bringing our our awareness, um, like a meditation, to to the the eating experience, um, so that we can can feel it. But let me get back to the question. I'm I'm wondering, uh, eating to the point of energy. So when you're doing this, when you're eating and you're really feeling, you're going to notice. Before you eat that you're you know you're hungry and you're you're tired, your energy is low, and as it should be, that's your body's feedback loop saying, uh, you know, put some fuel in the tank, let's eat. It's time. So good. So you start eating. And if you follow what I call the pleasurable eating practices, which are in the book, and you eat with your body, you eat with relaxation, you eat with breath your senses turned on slowly, sensuously, you're going to get a lot of pleasure out of the experience and you're going to notice that your energy as you eat goes up and up and up and, oh, you're feeling better and better and this is nourishing and revitalizing and just delicious and static lunch, mm, breakfast, whatever it is. And then you're going to notice, oh, just went over the hump. Oh, my energy just got lower. Oh, I start to feel heavy. Burping also is a sign that you've gone over that hump. And you'll become more attuned as you go along to to what that point is. And gradually you'll have a sense when you, you know um, that if you eat more, your energy is going to go down. 
so that's what I used to do and what many people do is eat into the food coma. You actually end up feeling more tired after you eat, ate than when you began. I thought that's just how it was, but I learned, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You can stop much earlier at this energy peak and you may be hungry sooner. Maybe you're going to be hungry in three hours instead of four hours. That's okay. You'll eat again then. But you will have eaten just the amount your your body needs, and that will support your energy and your weight loss. Now, of course, if I were drinking a cup of coffee while I was trying to the point of energy, it might be hard to know when that point of energy came because I'd be getting all jacked up on the coffee. And what I'm getting at is I'm, I'm curious mm. to know if there are any kind of pleasurable weight loss do's and don'ts that are just sort of, you know, yes, you can eat whatever you want as long as it's in this true pleasure framework. But furthermore, are there sort of like, these are the kinds of foods you should eat more of for more pleasurable weight loss and avoid these foods? Really, it comes back to the earth and think like an animal. Think like nature. What are the naturally healthy foods? It's it's pretty obvious. We can go into organic and local and seasonal and get as earthy as possible, biodynamic, but essentially the natural foods, the whole foods, uh, Tammy, I I think it's important to have some space for I mean, even to the point of junk food, for for the not so healthy food, for the not so ideal food, for that cake that's full of sugar and there's no not organic to save your life and it's just there it is. Um, I think it's important to have. Well, not to be neurotic about it. I don't want to recommend eating these things, but specifically on the cover of the book is the picture of me eating uh, with a cupcake. And there it is, and white sugar and flour and butter. And you know what? This too can be, I'm going to say even healthy. It can be nourishing. If you're really present with it, if you're really savoring it, if you're enjoying it, um and it's in the context of, of life where you're doing that all the time. No one food is going to really kill you or, um, you know, ruin your, your weight loss. It, can you make good decisions for yourself all the time? And if eating a cupcake really feels like a good decision for you, then be present with it and enjoy it. The thing not to do is to be of two minds. We talk about, you know, being being in integrity, being whole. If you're, you know, in for a penny, in for the pound. Like, really, you want to eat ice cream? Really eat it. Eat the best one. Um, you know, don't be divided. Don't be partially like, oh, I should, oh, I shouldn't. Be whole about it. And you'll find that, um, you know, maybe you didn't, didn't need to go to an excess to really get the satisfaction that you wanted. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True.
we welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, one of the things listening to this conversation, Jenna, that I'm curious about is the weight loss industry is such a huge business. And as you pointed out, many of the deprivation style diets don't work or don't last, but yet millions and millions and millions of people are turning to those diets. If pleasurable weight loss really worked, wouldn't it already be a big industry? Wouldn't there already be lots of books on this approach and lots of people attempting it if it really worked? I mean, I thought the same thing when I discovered meditation and certain ways of awake thinking. It's like, oh, why doesn't everybody already know about this? This is phenomenal. And, you know... Why Why is it so hard to get the best ideas out there? Uh, there's, there's a lot of establishment around, around how it is. I know that question is taking my breath away. Why do you think, Tammy? <laughs> I think that it has something to do with when you talk about contacting the human animal, that for a lot of people I think that is... Uh, really a new way of thinking and a very, very powerful way of thinking. Hmm. There has been shame put on pleasure. Pleasure is considered a dirty word. Something, ooh, to have as a reward for hard work, shame um, occasionally, or work, you know, that's the thing to be proud of. What are you achieving? What are you getting done? And it's being exalted above simply being in the presence. I smelled a flower. I um you know, I meditated, I danced, I wasn't accomplishing something. I was celebrating life. I was um in a spiritual engagement with life. I mean that's what pleasure is at its highest form is this meditation, is this appreciation of life. It's a way of thanking life, saying, wow, life, thank you for existing. I'm going to enjoy you. It's full of gratitude. It's full of appreciation and responsibility to look on the bright side and not on the dark side. There's so many positives to this philosophy that were widespread in society. I think it would be very, very beneficial to all. But, yeah, like you're saying, there's a, a deep-rooted fear of nature, of the feminine, of the animal, of pleasure, of the senses, that uh, I believe is unfounded. I believe that pleasure is innocence. Now, Jenna, I want to turn to a couple sections of pleasurable weight loss that I thought were particularly provocative. And you have a chapter that's called Until Sexy is Safe. You'll never lose weight. And in that chapter, 
you talk about how our weight and our sexuality are inextricably linked. And I wonder if you can talk more about that. I don't think that's a connection that's often made. Mm, I'd love to. One of the reasons any woman, if you ask her, why do you want to lose weight, eventually to be sexy will come up. And she may be very selective about who she wants to be sexy for. She only wants to be sexy for her partner or, you know, people that she hopes may be a partner. Um, But it's, I find it's in there. Yet, (laughs) at the same time, it's usually surrounded by a lot of personal conflict or a lot of inner conflict around what does it mean to be a sexy woman anyway in our society? And I noticed this, Tammy, from years of doing coaching and counseling, and that's how I came across across pleasurable weight loss. It's been 12 or 13 years now I've been doing this work, you know, full-time and making these discoveries. And I started to notice this pattern that the women who were coming to me for weight loss and emotional eating, the ones that were more sex positive were having better, faster results. They were just doing great. And the ones that were more sexually sex negative or they they didn't have that space and that positivity towards it in their lives, they were struggling and not getting the results. And I was like, oh, I'm connecting the dots here. And I started to teach on this and really guide women specifically to feel okay about being sexual, to feel great about it. To know that, yes, to be a woman is to have a a sensual body that wants to be a lover, that wants to be held and caressed, and we have such a capability for orgasm and ecstasy, and that if we're not responding to this, if we're mm, putting shame on it or, you know, anything other than really embracing and inviting sexuality and sensuality to have a beautiful, you know, central place in your life. And whether you're are single or with a partner or many partners, um, unless sex and sexual sensuality have a conscious place, then there will be there'll be something really missing and it's so, so easy to, to turn to food for that and boom, now you've gained your 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 pounds and you're all the more away from enjoying your sexuality. So that's when women really get in a, a buy-in tummy when they say, oh, I need to lose weight before I'm sexual. I need to lose weight before I feel safe being sexy. I need to lose weight before I can do all these things and then really they need to do that first. Well, let's talk to that woman and bring in this idea of shame and the shame that perhaps someone feels about their body image. And, you know, I hear Jenna saying, you know, be sexual first, even if I don't really feel okay with my body and the body image. 
But I'm too ashamed to do that. I'm not going to take all my clothes off in front of somebody the size that I am now. What does this person do? Mm-hmm. That's where you've got to start with yourself. And before before anyone else comes into the scene, that you yourself have that connection with your body, with your own sexuality, with your own self-pleasuring, and that you can essentially have a tantric connection with yourself. So tantric sex, fabulous. If, if you have a tantric partner, wonderful. But you can always uh, learn those things. They're very learnable skills using your breath, using your muscles, using your intention. Um, a lot of great teachers can teach you, again, just like you would learn meditation, how do you really channel and cultivate your sexual energy like a yoga, like a meditation practice? Uh, so that's a, a beautiful thing to do. Then you're confident in yourself. You know, wow, I am a good lover unto me. Okay, sexual confidence is coming. All right, well, I still think I'm, you know, XYZ pounds of weight. So then it's a matter of realizing that the to be sexy is not just to be thin. That's one definition of sexy and okay, you may really appreciate that version and you want to look like that. Okay. You can you can want that. And in the here and now, your body is a sexual creature, your body is sexy. If you're in touch with their the essence of your lover energy, you know that you are an erotic being. You know it. It's not about how you look. It's not about anything external. It's coming from the inside out. And then it expresses in your moves. And it expresses in your voice. And it expresses in these things that are really sexy. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard many a time someone say your voice is sexy, Tammy. They've only heard your radio show. They don't even know what you look like. (laughs) Right? There's many ways to be sexy in the world and if you cease to identify that only sexy sexy means only size two that's so limited expand your your sense of what that means and what the erotic is to you and expand how you experience erotic energy and people will be attracted to you i swear you the problem is not that you're pushing them away chances are most women they push attention away and if you can make that switch and be willing to receive it, oh, you'll have so many opportunities, you won't believe it. No, that's very helpful, but I still want to make sure that we directly address the experience of shame. And mm. someone who's listening to this and says, yeah, but I get crippled by my shame. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's a very tender topic, and my heart softens at the word shame. And if you're feeling shame, that's the first place to start is with softness, with kindness, tenderness. Again, there's always some good reason for the shame. There's always some intended reason, we could say, some in- intended positive reason that's not really working anymore. So it's about coming at it with, with curiosity. So let's say it's simply, you know, I'm ashamed 
I'm ashamed of my body. That's it. I'm, I'm crippled. I'm ashamed of my body. Then there's, we look at, well, you know, what, what is going on with the shame? What is the shame communicating? What is the shame intending? And when we dig into it, then we find that through feeling ashamed, through feeling bad about ourselves, we feel this sense of belonging with our families. Circling around to what we were saying before about these objections to feeling safe, that when we feel ashamed, we feel like we belong. We feel part of what's um, our, our family of origin. And that's a really useful place to start. It's not necessarily um, obvious to see how our shame is a way that we we exude their loyalty towards our families. So again, when we realize this, it's a way to step back and say, okay, I can um, let go of this shame. I can let go of this feeling that I'm not enough. And I can see how it has served me to belong with my family. I can see how having no shame and having pride in myself and feeling great about myself could actually be threatening, but that is what I really want. So I'm going to take steps towards surrounding myself with people who are um, not going to tamper that shame. But that's a really useful way, Tammy, is uh, being around people who don't share that same um, that same shame. They're they're taking a stand for you to love yourself. They're not um, going to see you as incapable in that way. Talking about our family of origins and our connection to our family of origins, another very provocative section of pleasurable weight loss that I wanted to highlight is a section where the headline is, How You Love Your Mother is How You Love Yourself. And you go further in this chapter in the book where you say, to heal your relationship with food and your body, you have to forgive your mother. And I thought, oh my God, in order to have a healthy relationship with food and my body, I have to let my mother off the hook? I didn't realize that. I thought this was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good one. So I also didn't realize this for a long time, and I was on a, a yoga path, and my attitude was, well, family stuff, you know, that's not important. I can work everything out through yoga and meditation, and I don't need to look back in time at, at what happened, and that's just uh, navel, gazing, na- navel gazing and not that interested. But as I kept researching, I realized that there's so there's so much imprinting that happens in our childhood, the beliefs that are laid down that then rule our lives, that as we consciously look to creating the future we want, it's 
it is part of the process to look back at where we've come and understand how we, um, you know, how how we may be living out things that we learned at a young age that actually aren't true. So, for example, you know, we learn from our mothers um, a certain relationship with with weight, with self-love, with how much pleasure we're allowed to have, with, um, you know, how much we make, we sacrifice ourselves versus how much we take care of others. And our mother is this first role model. So coming back to what you were saying, how does loving your mother affect loving yourself? Because the mother is such a primary role, and we have this, whether we like it or not, we have this deep identification with the mother. And over time, we differentiate ourselves, but we start being one with them. So if we disrespect our mothers, if we don't like how they look, if we have a contempt and criticism for them, an anger, uh, you know, the opposite of forgiveness, then on some level, that same, we carry that towards ourselves. We are half our mothers. Half our DNA is our mother's DNA. And the attitude that we have towards her, it on a, a subtle level influences the attitude we have towards ourselves. So if you're not forgiving her, you won't forgive yourself. If you're not having compassion for her, you won't for yourself. So I have an example where I, I do not have an intimate emotional relationship with my mother, but I can forgive her, I can have compassion, and I can let that be okay. I can let it be okay that she gave me life. That's enough. She doesn't have to understand me. She doesn't have to approve of me. She doesn't have to say anything or do anything or be any specific way to provide me a certain concept of what a mother needs to be. Um, she can she can be who she is. I can love and accept her unconditionally. And I can understand that however she is, is her version of unconditional love for me. So let me explain that again. This is a, a really interesting point, Tammy, which is this idea of conditional love. And what most people realize is they went, oh, I I didn't get unconditional love. But, you know, it could be them that's putting the conditions and how they want the so-called unconditional love to show up. So, you know, if you can just drop the conditions and say, everyone's trying their best to love and forgive the rest. It, It makes for a much more peaceful inner world. Then you don't need to take it out on the cookies because your mother's not doing ABC. Just it doesn't matter anymore. You're just in the humor of it. You're in the forgiveness. You're in the joy. It's easier. You, know, you introduced this phrase in pleasurable weight loss, the ideal ecology for pleasurable weight loss. What does it mean to find the ideal ecology? And as we're talking about some of these issues, our, our relationship with our biological family, our relationship with our sexuality. You really emphasize in the book 
this idea of the whole ecology in which we're attempting to lose weight, not just what we're putting in our mouth. And I wonder if you could summarize for people what you think the ideal ecology is for pleasurable weight loss. So the ideal ecology for pleasurable weight loss stems from this idea that your body is an animal that naturally knows how to eat, how to lose weight. And all you have to do is listen to your body. Okay, great. So then the thing is, we are now this human animal, and it's more complicated than that. We also now have a mind, and the mind has its answers. And the body has its answers. And how do we now listen to the body and, and respond to those wise uh, responses when there are a lot of options. There is candy, there is junk food, there is things that your body can crave that won't be of service to your body. So this is where I really like to think of your mind as your body's bodyguard, like a guardian. So the, the punishing paradigm is thinking your body, your mind needs to control the body, it's like a controller. The feminine approach is the mind is a guardian to the body, like a server. How can your mind create a garden, create a, a forest in which your body will thrive? So on a practical level, that's the food in your fridge. Get the good foods in there. Find out the great places you can have lunch that are healthy. This is just the ABCs. is water and good food and fresh air and sleep. And none of these things are original. But are you giving your body her basic things that she needs? And can you look yourself eye to eye and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking care of my body on the, on the basic level. So that's one level of ecology. And and part of that is what I was saying before about relationships and sensuality and sexuality. That that not be a luxury, but again, part of the ABCs of life that you create that quote-unquote ecology, you create the lifestyle, you create the friend circles, you create the social life where there is a uh, sense sense positive, uh, a pleasure positive attitude, a play positive attitude, a joy positive attitude, where it's not separate from your life. That oh, I've got this concept of pleasurable weight loss, and you know, for one hour a week, I've got my pleasurable weight loss mentality running the show. No, it's that it's your your life. So the external and the internal they they mirror themselves. I mentioned having beliefs. That's the other level of ecology, is your beliefs, thoughts, and values. Uh, again, the, the monkey in the forest doesn't have that level of complexity of their ecology. It's just their ecosystem. But we do. How we think makes a difference. So, you know, what to do, how to create a, an ideal ecology on that level is to think what are the beliefs that are going to support having what you want. Okay, you want to lose weight. So you got to believe that you can have it. Believe and that it's okay to have it. And, you know, Tammy, this is one reason why it's so important for pleasurable weight loss for women to really examine, are they okay with having a good time? Because they think they want to lose weight and feel great about their body, but secretly they don't actually feel comfortable with feeling great. See what I mean? 
I do, and it, it, right there? yeah, and it leads me to this question about pleasure thresholds. If you think people have like mm-hmm. this is it, I, you know, this is as good as I feel. I don't feel better than this. That's it, at least in this situation or that situation. And what do we do when we bump up against a pleasure threshold? Mm-hmm. Yes. So pleasure threshold is the counter to a pain threshold. Where you're like, ah, that's more pain than I can handle. Stop. The pleasure threshold is the ah more more pleasure than I can handle. And most of us aren't aware this threshold even exists because we just bounce off it and create more stress for ourselves. It's like an invisible thing. Um, It's definitely something I've worked on for a long time is seeing where I have self-created stress because somehow it's more comfortable for me to be in stress than to be in relaxation. So, yeah, the, the... the pleasure threshold is when you can have beliefs like if it's too good, something bad will happen. Or if it's too good, um, it's not okay. If it's, if it's too good, it's bad for me. And stopping yourself from enjoying things, stopping yourself from a touch or stopping yourself from going over, going to the next level sexually, stopping yourself saying yes. Stopping yourself just taking off your shoes and kicking back. When you notice that, oh, you may have stopped the flow of your pleasure, that's when you've hit a pleasure threshold and you have the opportunity to take a deep breath and do what I call expand your tolerance to sensation. So on on a visceral level, what will be happening is some tingling... Ooh, some sensation, some heat, some something in the body that you're feeling that feels like, oh, I can't handle it. But actually, you can handle it. Um, you just need to expand your capacity to feel it and doing so with a combination of breath and awareness. And again, that inner knowing that everything's okay, you're expanding your pleasure threshold um, is a way to then go to those new heights where you could enjoy a massage or sex or food or anything to heights that you had not previously known. Now, Jen, I just have two more questions for you. There's so much I want to talk to you about, but I'm just going to squeeze two more questions in. In the beginning of the book, Pleasurable Weight Loss, you quote one of your teachers, Mama Gina, and this is the quote, pleasure is the highest form of responsibility. And when I read that quote, I thought, I don't really know what that means. How is pleasure a form of responsibility? What that means is that in any moment, if we surrender to whatever's going on, chances are we can often be flowed, you know, flow in a in the direction of stress, of things not being okay. Uh, one of my teachers would say, the mind left to its own devices will get to the thought, will inevitably get to the thought, I suck. <laughs> and it's very, yeah. It's very easy to get swept into negativity. So pleasure is the opposite of that. Pleasure is saying, I will shine my attention towards what's going well. Um, it's not about a Pollyanna situation of just ignoring that there's conflicts or challenges in life. Okay, there's a challenge at hand here. 
how could I see this challenge as an opportunity to level my communication skills, to grow beyond, you know, my edge in some way? How can I always look in any moment for um, basically the opposite of how my victim? Um, when you're not taking responsibility, that's when you have the experience, poor me, this is happening to me, oh, I don't like this, this sucks, I'm not having a good time, like, ugh. And it's just so easy to get there. And, I, you know, I constantly find myself there. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, take responsibility, find the pleasure. And this, Tammy, is taking pleasure into the broad context of life. You know, it's not like you're half an hour fun time after work. It's like this moment here where we're doing our work. How can this moment really be pleasurable? How can going to the grocery store be pleasurable? How can cooking be pleasurable? How can making your bed be pleasurable? How can movement be pleasurable? Something we haven't gotten to yet is throwing away the idea of exercise. And um, this is one of the pleasurable do's and don'ts. Don't do punishing exercise. Do pleasurable movement where you're really enjoying it. So again, coming back to the responsibility don't be a victim. Don't let the outside world decide that you're going to hate your body. Don't let the outside world decide that you're not attractive. You're not. You don't have to have what it takes to have good body image or take care of yourself. Take that responsibility. Like, wow, this is my life. I'm at the helm. I every possibility is open to me, and I can lead my life in a way that's positive um that that could be what that means and one final question for you jenna our program's called insights at the edge and i'm always curious to know what someone's growing edges in your own life what would you say is your current growing edge that you'd like to share with us I would say for me, it's more pleasure and that this conversation has inspired me. But let's hear what it is for you. Mm. My leading edge right now is being more vulnerable in my sharing at large. Uh, For example, something I got divorced uh, earlier this year and I have not yet uh, written an email about it or or mentioned that it's been a, something that just has not been mentioned. And I'm noticing that the teachers that really inspire me are the ones that are, um, they're much more sharing of their humanity and of the highs and lows. Um, they're more relatable. Um, they don't just share what's safe to share. They really put themselves out, put themselves out there and are are vulnerable. I can feel my heart beating a little faster saying it. And I think that's really exciting to, um, yeah, to, to keep finding my edge and keep sharing my edge more and more. I've been speaking with Jenna Laflemme. Jenna, thank you so much. Your book has so much in it. So many tips, practices, recipes, deep self-inquiry chapters. It's really chock full. You did a great job. 
She's the author of the new book, Pleasurable Weight Loss, The Secrets to Feeling Great, Losing Weight, and Loving Your Life Today. But it's unlike any weight loss book I've ever read. It's not prescriptive, but it tunes you in to your animal body. Jenna, thank you so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge, and congratulations on Pleasurable Weight Loss and its new release. Thank you so much, Tammy. A true honor and pleasure to talk with you here. Soundstree.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.